The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Thank you so much for listening. Without you, we wouldn't have a show. So thank you so much for being there. And I would also like to thank our guest today, Jennifer Canvasser. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. I'm thrilled to be here. We're thrilled to have Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer founded the NEC Society, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to reducing the incidence of necrotizing colitis, enterocolitis, after losing her son Micah to the disease in 2012. The NEC Society is a leading international champion for the prevention of NEC in fragile infants. Jennifer's expertise includes children's environmental health, nonprofit leadership, community organizing, and public policy. She's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post on subjects such as parenting, health, and food issues. I think you'll notice that Jennifer is a gifted public uh, public speaker, and she has presented on diverse children's health topics nationally and internationally. She has completed her undergraduate studies at the UCLA, and she earned her master's degree in social work from University of Southern California with a focus on community organizing. Now, if you have a premature baby in the NICU, uh, or even if you have even thought about how you might do baby wearing for your baby in the NICU, Stay with us because Jennifer is here to help you discover several things today. First, why baby wearing is such a great idea for the baby and for the mother. How to keep your baby safe, even if he's very weak or fragile, and even if he's attached to many leads and wires and tubes. How to convince the NICU staff that baby wearing is a good idea, and how necrotizing enterocolitis, NEC, N-E-C, is a real threat to a premature baby's life, and that baby wearing is one of the things that can improve your own milk supply and thereby uh, minimize the threat of of neck for your baby. So, Jennifer, help us a little bit here. I have to say that I was surprised when I read your article in the Huffington Post. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't really know of any mother who's ever told me that she wants to do baby wearing for premature babies, uh, and you had twins, no less. Right. So how did it occur to you to do baby wearing? Right. So I actually was interested in baby wearing when I was pregnant. I had intended, obviously, like all mothers do, to give birth um, at, to full-term healthy babies that would not need any NICU time. Um, and so when my babies were born prematurely, all of those kind of typical, normal opportunities that most moms get when their babies arrive um, full-term were taken away from me. Um, and so I was in the NICU, and a, a close friend of mine, who's an expert baby wearing, and once we had been in the NICU for maybe a month and a half or so, offered to come in um, and, and show me and teach me how to wear my very, very fragile babies. Um, and I was uh, not so sure about it because I was yeah. still unsure about how to um, take care of them myself. I, I wasn't very comfortable with the wraps and the carriers, um, but she was able to come in and work with me, and we built up my confidence and my confidence, and before I knew it, I was um, wearing both of my twins at the same time, and it was the most amazing, life-changing experience. <laughs> I love the word, what you just said, amazing and life-changing. Can you help us to know what that 
felt like or what that might look like if I were watching right. you? You know, it's it's hard to convey, but for any mother who's been in the NICU, you know that your your role as a mother, as a caregiver is really taken away because everyone else needs to take care of your baby. And, yes. and the mother's job is given away to the nurses and the professionals and the doctors and so forth. And so pumping for my babies was one thing that I loved to be able to do for them. So I was able to provide them with my milk. Um, and then once I learned how to, um, I was able to kangaroo care for them where it's skin to skin, um, but that also limited us. And so once I was able to figure out how to put them in a carrier, that was something that I could provide to them that most people um, could not. I mean, maybe my husband or grandmother could if they <laughs> took the time to learn. And some of them did, but um, it was something that I could give to my, my babies that no one else really could. And it allowed us to um, nurture one another and start to build those bonds and those connections that most healthy babies mm. um, and mothers do automatically without really um, having to try. And this is something, you know, we were separated for so long, uh, my babies and I, you know, because they were in their incubators and I was outside of their incubators. So we yes. needed to feel each other and be close to one another. And baby wearing was able to bring us together. And it was just amazing. I can hear that in your voice as you're talking. I can see your eyes sparkle. And Jennifer, talk to us about what I guess I would call fear. I remember that the first time that I had any interaction with a baby who weighed, you know, say around three pounds or so, I was a registered nurse, was supposed to know what I was doing. And honestly, I was just, I, I was scared. I was frightened. Uh, I, I didn't know if I'd be able to put a diaper on this baby. I felt like he was going to break in half. And it, it just was really kind of spooky for me. So I'm trying to imagine what, it, and that's for a stranger's kid. You know, I don't even know this baby. I'm trying to imagine what it must be like for a mother to be handling a baby that's that little. Did you feel frightened? I was terrified. Yes. <laughs> it was absolutely and I mean you you get past the terrified point but you know those initial days especially if you've never seen a premature infant before as I had not my babies were born at about two and a half pounds so these were very very small babies um, with many cords wires leads tubes yeah. um, it's yeah. overwhelming it's terrifying it's frightening I thought I was going to hurt them um, sure. I wanted to touch them and be close to them but I was afraid of breaking them, of, of hurting them, yeah, of, me of yeah. messing up some of their medical equipment and things like yeah. that and interfering with it because I was so, um, I, I had no knowledge of any of it. And so it did, that was probably the largest obstacle um, to getting to the point where I was comfortable to to wear them and to wear them in wraps is, is um, becoming informed and engaged and empowered enough to understand how to interact with these very small infants and how to best take care of them and protect them and so forth. And definitely when we come back in the second segment, I want you to dig a little bit deeper into how you actually were able to carry that out, how you were able mm -hmm. to do it, know it, et cetera. But in the meanwhile, can you tell us that first experience of actually wearing your baby, I'm sure there was some fear and trepidation in the first few moments and maybe beyond the first few moments, but how did it feel at the end? I felt empowered. And that would probably be the one the one word to describe it. It was um, again. I, it was if you've ever worn a baby, you have your hands free. They're tucked in close to your chest, right below your chin, near your heart. Um, and it was again. I, I it's hard to describe it other than it, it was just so empowering, and it was this immediate bond that you felt with the baby or my baby, and um, and allowed me to take that um, back and um, the freedom to be able to stand up, to move my hands around, to be able to move to my other twins um, NICU room. Um, again, all these things that some people may take for granted, just simple things that I could now sure. do because they were safely secure in a wrap. How old was the baby the first time that you did the baby wearing? Um, he, so they were both, uh, my twins were born at 27 weeks and five days to gestation. So about three months prematurely. And by the time they were stable enough to, uh, be worn in a carrier, um, and it was Zachary, um, my twin who did not develop necrotized nitrocolitis, um, who I was able to put in a carrier first. He was, 
probably about two and a half months old. So he, because again, when they were first born, they were intubated, had yep. lots of instability. It was not going to be safe to wear them. Um, and it, I was terrified and overwhelmed. So I needed to build up um, and feel comfortable enough to to do, have these skills before I was able to baby wear them. Yeah. And so in some senses, I'm sure that that seemed like a very long time. In another sense, you really needed that time in right. order to figure it all out, to be able to, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more later or how you were actually able to sort of train yourself. Right. But talk to us, when was the first time that you got to do skin-to-skin care? Um, I think, let's see, Micah was three days old, I believe, the first time I was able nice. to have him on my chest. So it was relatively soon after they were born. You know, some babies are not able to be um, kangaroo cared that quickly. Um, but, you know, it's it's different. Kangaroo care, you're, you're in a chair, you're laying down, and it's wonderful and beautiful, but you're also limited to being in the chair, and you can't yes. you know, necessarily hold a book or right. read or do anything else. And, of course, you want to be there with your baby and be present, but when you're in the you for three months or more like we were, you get to a point where, okay, I want to be able to be close to my baby and read and move around and get a snack and, you know, things like yes, that. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Jennifer, on a previous show, we talked about the different types of uh, baby carriers. We had Samantha Bennell, who is a certified baby wearing expert, and she talked about soft, structured carriers. And I'm thinking of things like the Baby Bjorn, although certainly there are other brands as well. Uh, the Mai Tais, which are like soft, structured carriers, the woven wraps, and the sling. Right. But at least in the Huffington Post article, you talked about the woven wraps. Right. Was there some reason that you wanted to start with the, the woven wrap? You know, it's we did start with, we actually started with a, a stretchy wrap that was similar to the Moby when the babies were very, very small. Um, okay. And they're a little bit difficult to work with because there is so much material and you have yeah. material hanging down on the hospital ground, which isn't ideal. And oh. so what we did, we moved over to a shortened woven wrap, which provided a lot of support. But I would say for, for NICU babies and for babies who are hospitalized, my favorite with Micah, Micah was my twin that developed necrotizing intracolitis. Um, my favorite was the ring sling, the woven wrap ring sling or any uh-huh. really material uh-huh. um, in, a, in a ring sling because it allowed um, easy access to your lines um, and you can it was adjustable. It was, I would say, a ring sling is probably ideal for babies who are hospitalized, in mm. my opinion. Nothing, uh, no, yeah. There's no material touching the ground. You know, you don't want <laughs> your woven wrap on the, on the hospital floor and then touching, touching potentially your baby. So, Well, certainly I know that the first time that I ever had, was exposed to a wrap, I saw this thing that's like, you know, what, I don't know, six or eight feet long, right. and I was totally... Yeah, I, I was thinking, I'm just not smart <laughs> enough to do What do I do with thing. this? What right. do I do? Where do I start? And so I was pretty <laughs> right. intimidated with right. it. And also, as a nurse, I know anything that drags on the floor, yes. boy, that's the end of the world. You exactly. know, so uh, <laughs> if, if you were my patient or your kids were my patients, I'd be thinking, uh-oh, that's not good. Right. And, and so uh, when you mentioned the woven wrap, I was just thinking, oh, I don't know that that's where I would necessarily want to start with somebody. Right. And it, it sounds like you've done more than one, and we'll talk about that as right. well. Yes. But wow, uh, this is really a great understanding of what got you motivated and how it made you feel. And I I was really delighted that you said you felt so empowered because I know so often mothers of NICU babies really feel like, you know, as you said, that the professionals are taking care of the baby and you're kind of in the background. And it's really hard to feel like a mother when somebody else is is basically the caregiver. Exactly. Hey, everybody, do not go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here with today with Jennifer Canvasser, who's talking with us about baby wearing for your very small premature baby. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. 
Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. So today, Jennifer Canvasser just got through talking to us about being motivated and how she felt when she did the baby wearing with her very premature babies. Now, understand, these babies were born before 28 weeks gestation, and they weighed about two and a half pounds. So, Jennifer, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking of a number of things. One would be, okay, so I'm the nurse for Jennifer's son, and she's telling me she wants to do baby wearing, and I'm thinking, ew, that sounds really, I'm not sure I want this mother to be doing this thing. So, how did you convince the staff that you could or should do this? Right. I think one, it's, it starts with relationships. So uh-huh. I first went in with my primary nurses and talked to them about it. Um, and we, we, I, they, they knew that as much as possible, I wanted to be close to my babies and we wanted to work on the bond and, and nurturing that we had been missing out on for the weeks and the months that we had been separated um, away from each other because they were, again, obviously in the NICU and I was not in their little incubator. Um, and so I, I started with our primary nurses and I, I showed them um, um, how that I how I knew how to use the carrier and I knew how to protect their lines and their wires. At this point, again, this was about two and a half months into their NICU stay, so I had come a long way from my initial days, and, my, and I had developed really great relationships with my boys' uh, primary nurses. And nice. so once they understood that um, I knew what I was doing, I I knew how to protect uh, their medical equipment, um, and uh, we w- we were able to work together to make this happen, and it was just incredible for everyone involved. Okay. So you kind of got them on board in what I would call not the heat of the moment. Right. So often I see that patients want something, and I don't care whether it's NICU or labor and delivery or anywhere else, sometimes it's really hard for me as the nurse to respond to that in the heat of the moment. But if we have the conversation outside of that, it's like, oh, yeah, well, let's see. We, We might be able to make that happen. And at least from being a nurse, I know that I'm a little bit more willing to cut people some slack when I'm not feeling pressured. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's only human nature. So tell us then, you how, how, how would the parent or the nurse, for that matter, know that the baby is eligible or ready to <laughs> right. be wrapped? I, I'm sure that, like, obviously when he's still on the ventilator, no, not happening. But after that, you probably started thinking about it. But when was it that the baby kind of gets in that neighborhood where it's like, yeah, this might be a possibility? How did you know that? Right, absolutely. So I, I do want to add, I was able to do kangaroo care with my boys when they were intubated. Not all NICUs will do this, but some will. Yeah. But I would agree that baby wearing when they're intubated, not so much. Not so much. So <laughs> um, my, both my boys had some major, major breathing episodes, apneic episodes. It was very terrifying. They required immediate um, and severe intervention um, at these yes. points. And so you, they need to be way past that. We are talking about no breathing, no major episodes whatsoever. They need to be stable. They need 
be predictable. They need to be easy to move um, and and carried really um, from place to place. So they can be hooked up to IVs or lines, leads, whatever it might be. They can still have all those things, um, but we need to be able to know that they aren't going to just drop and and um, pass out on us at any point, which yeah. is, which yeah. would happen in the beginning at any point. So they, we really are talking about the more stable NICU babies here. Absolutely. Did you find that, uh, obviously, you had a good rapport with your primary nurse. Did you find that some nurses or doctors or whoever were a little less eager to let you do that? I, I would say a lot of people looked at me like, what are you doing? Yeah. What is what is that thing? Because some people had never even seen a carrier before. And then, you know, they'd come to my room and they'd see all types of different carriers. <laughs> and they were like, what is this mom doing? And so they, they were, I would say, less um, reluctant to let it happen and more kind of interested and curious in learning about it. Um, Ooh, especially nice. once, once they saw that I knew what I was doing, um, my boys were safe, um, they were um, intrigued and wanted to learn more about it. So I would, I would say we got a pretty positive response. At first, they were a little um, unsure about it. But I think once they learned um, and were introduced to uh, this baby wearing a fragile babies, they, I think, wanted to learn more. That's really a good thing. Uh, and I want to warn mothers who are listening that that's not always the case. Right. It's, it's good if you've got somebody who's curious or maybe a little bewildered or whatever. Uh, it gets a little hairier when... Uh, Mm-hmm. You've got resistance, and the only piece of advice that I can offer for that is sometimes the mother just really has to be really clear about the fact that she is the mother and the baby does not belong to the hospital, mm-hmm. and that can get a little bit hairier. Okay, so so let's say that I'm the nurse, and I'm thinking, okay, the baby is stable. He's not having any apnea. For those of you who are listening, apnea is uh, when breathing stops for 20 seconds or more. Uh, he can be easily moved, easily carried, and all of his lines and tubes and whatnot are all secured and protected. And basically, the baby is what Jennifer just said, stable and predictable. It's hard for me to explain what that is, but there are some kids <laughs> who just kind of know what they're going to do next. And, you know, you you feel like if something's going to happen, you're going to get a little forewarning right. of that. Uh, that's great. But how were you able to prove to the staff that you really knew what you were doing with these wraps? Right. I um, I took some time before I wrapped my babies um, and used stuffed animals, dolls, and watched YouTube videos. I know it sounds kind of funny to sit in the NICU <laughs> and watch YouTube videos, but there are some fantastic instructional videos on YouTube that you just click on. You grab yourself some type of stuffed animal, doll, whatever you want to grab, and you practice wrapping and tying and securing uh, that doll or that stuffed animal. And before you know it, you're going to be a competent wrapper and then you'll be able to move over to your to your fragile baby. Um, and so again, I was able to to use those instructional videos and then show my NICU nurses, hey, I know what I'm doing. Um, and they they had um, understood by this point. I also knew uh, how to care for his lines and how to protect them and what the what the numbers meant and so forth. I could read my baby's cues. I want to impor- uh, point out how that how important that is to be able to not only look and understand the monitor, but be able to look at your baby. Don't Absolutely. look at the monitor. Look at your baby and understand whether your baby is stable and and doing well or is going to need some help. So um, I was able to read my baby and um, understood how to care for him at this point. Totally. Excellent. I want to go back to these YouTube videos. (laughs) Were were the YouTube videos about wrapping a preterm baby or uh, that's what I thought. Okay. (laughs) All right. So you had to watch the the demonstration of how it normally would be. Did you find yourself having to make some adjustments? or whatever the word would be for a preterm baby? Absolutely. And, I, you know, especially with, again, most of these babies that are in the NICU are hooked up to some type of leads, wires, tubes, what have you. And so you always have to be thinking about, okay, if I'm going to do that, how is that going to impact their lines? And so constantly thinking about that. And then obviously when you're talking about any baby, but especially a baby who is born prematurely, how are you going to protect their airway and ensure that it's unobstructive and open at all times? So you're constantly thinking about that as well as you're watching these videos that are made for full-term healthy big babies. <laughs> uh-huh. Now, you mentioned that you used the sling mm-hmm. uh, because it was more friendly, if you will, towards the wires and tubes and whatnot. Yep. 
Okay. But in the article, you mentioned that you used the, the, the wraps. Yep. So did you use the wraps <laughs> later? No, I would. I first used the woven wraps, the long woven wraps, and then as I, I got, I became skilled in all different carriers. And so my preference went towards the ring sling with Mica. Again, Mica was my more fragile twin who developed necrotized nutricolitis. Um, if I was going to be wearing Zachary, I loved the long woven wraps. He um, was very stable; didn't require um, a whole lot. He was, you know, getting closer to a, a full term baby at this point. Um, but again, for my more fragile baby, I really enjoyed who had more lines and things that I needed to protect. I really preferred the ring sling. But then actually, when I wanted to carry both of them, I, it, at once uh, Zachary was a little bit older and Micah was still hospitalized, I would say Zachary was maybe four, uh, four to five months um, at this point. I was able to put Zachary on my back and Micah in my front in a Maytai carrier. Um, okay. And that was absolutely amazing to be able to have both my babies at the same time. And um, that was Aww. wonderful. Yep. So... Well, all right. So just for the record, then, I think what you're saying is there are some types of carriers that might be better for one premature baby than another premature baby. Right. And the mother kind of has to feel her way through which one is going to work better. And that's okay. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I would, I, I do highly recommend ring slings because again, they won't touch the ground of a hospital floor. Um, they're easily adjustable and you are able to, um, uh, you know, tighten and adjust without having to, um, hook or unhook, um, any lines or leads or whatever. So I, I would say if you can start with a ring sling, that would probably be my preference is there's also less material to work with. Um, but you know, if you are wanting to try out a woven wrap, I think they're phenomenal and offer a lot of um, versatility and ways to wear them. So a lot of different options. I'm eager to say that when Samantha Bennell, who is the baby wearing expert, certified baby wearing expert, uh, she said exactly the same thing, that starting with the ring sling is probably, for most people, probably the one to start with. Certainly not the best. You know, best is is subjective. But I want to go back to these YouTubes. Jennifer, I don't want to put you on the spot because I know that you were not prepared for this question, but can you give anybody any tips on if you had some specific YouTubes that you found very helpful, do you remember a name or even uh, what search criteria you, you put in? You know what? I haven't watched them in a while, but what I would do is um, I would just type in uh, ring sling baby wearing instructional video, and okay. there are so many out there. Yeah. Um, and I would, you know, you want to make sure that the baby's um, airway is unobstructed, that they're right underneath your chin, um, close to your heart on your chest, um, and that they're, you know, completely supported. So um, I, I think the ring sling is a really wonderful choice for families that are in the NICU. Okay, good deal. Well, when we come back, I'm going to ask Jennifer some very specific, nitty-gritty, down-to-earth, practical tips on how you can go towards wearing your own premature baby. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. Jennifer Canvasser and I will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
You are listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I'm here today with Jennifer Canvasser, who did baby wearing of her very premature infants. So, Jennifer, you mentioned several things that you were able to accomplish, and you said that in being confident and competent, you were able to convince the staff that, in fact, you could do baby wearing. And, you know, some of the staff were enthusiastic or eager, and others of them were maybe more curious or bewildered. But in order for the parents who are listening to actually be able to do this themselves, uh, we need some some real tips here. So, for example, how did you, you mentioned several times that you've got to be able to to protect the lines and tubes and leads and so forth. How exactly did you do that? Because you had to figure this out for yourself, right? But I didn't. I, I don't. I did not do it on my own, and I wouldn't recommend any parent do it on their own. I would recommend that parents work directly with their nurses, and I would strongly urge them to form a primary team of nurses. Um, and, right. and most NICUs will be accommodating of this because once you have a primary care team of nurses for your baby, you're able to develop relationships, trust one another, and really better care as a team for for that infant. Um, and so once you have your I, I hope that these babies will have a primary team. And so once you have a primary team of nurses, the mother or the father, whoever the parent can ask them, say, please, I want to learn how to protect my baby's lines. I want to learn how to care for my baby. Please teach me how. And so you, they need to work with the nurse and, and the nurse sh- hopefully will be able to teach them um, how to do this because it's, it's, it does, it takes, it took me weeks, even months really to uh-huh. learn how to do this um, oh, over okay. a period of time because you need to learn how to not only read your baby's cues, but learn what the monitor is saying. What does it mean? And what? So you obviously you don't want to be tugging on lines. You don't want them to be caught. You have to be constantly right. thinking about their lines and how how much pressure is on them and so forth. But you to have that deeper understanding, I'd really encourage um, parents to become part of the care team and work with a primary set of nurses to um, become informed and engaged and empowered as part of their baby's care team. One of the things that I think you said that's really important for people to hear is you did not master this technique in an hour or even a day. No. It was several weeks before you were really able to to do it. Right. And talk to us, because you've mentioned this several times, reading your baby's cues. What are the cues that parents should be looking for? Um, you know, I would, and this took me a while as well, because again, I, when I first had my babies, I wasn't used to just looking at and looking at my baby and seeing whether or not they're breathing, but that's what it it took. And at first I was like, I can't tell if my baby's breathing or not, but after a (laughs) while, all you need to do is you look at your baby's face and you will know whether or not they're breathing, what, what rate they're breathing at and whether they are going to need some type of assistance or intervention and support or whether they're going to continue to be stable or not before the monitor you will go even go off and so again this does not happen over a night probably not even a week as this takes um, I, I would say at least weeks of, of very close interaction with your infant and as and being engaged and part of that care team for your baby I would totally agree because in some senses all premature babies are the same and in other right. respects they're all different right uh, you really have to kind of like key in, but the breathing is definitely a big issue mm-hmm. because sometimes they will get those little fast breathing yep. things and you've got to be in tune to that as well as the stopping. Yep. Now, did, did your baby ever turn colors? Like, oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You oh, yes. Don't want to go there. Oh, <laughs> it's terrifying. More times than I can count. Gray, yeah. blue. It's absolutely yep. terrifying. And so that's, we absolutely did no baby wearing until we were well past those past spells. Good. Good. Um, right. <laughs> yes. And that would be what I would sort of be thinking. Yes. Uh, you also mentioned um, I'm looking here. Oh, I know. I was, you did not specifically say, but 
premature babies are always, always, always very weak, very floppy. Their muscle tone is, they just have very low tone. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, I've handled a lot of premature babies and I'm trying to imagine, like, don't they get lost in <laughs> that? <laughs> Because they really don't have enough tone to hold themselves up erect the way that a full-term baby would. So how did you, like, prevent them from just squashing themselves down into the material? Right. Again, I I think that takes practice as well. And I would adjust the carrier to make sure the rails were very supportive in the places that they need to be supportive. And then making sure that you don't have both your hands busy doing other things. I probably, I would say with, with Micah, who was my, um, my baby that developed necrotizing intracolitis, I probably always had one extra hand that I could, um, help to support him. And that, you know, while my hands were free, if needed, I, I I agree. I, I always need to be thinking about his, his body and his head and how to, uh, provide him with some extra support. Yes. Yeah, so you did not ever have both hands doing something at the same time. Not with Micah, right? Yeah. Exactly. All righty. So give us a picture of how the first few baby wearings went. Meaning, did you do it like for a minute or an hour or, or what? How did that I'd go? Say- the very first time um, that I, I baby wear uh, my Zachary, my more stable twin, um, I actually was I took him over to, to Micah's room, and then I he probably stayed in the carrier. This was in a, a woven type stretchy wrap. Um, actually, it was more of a stretchy wrap, but it was a long wrap. Um, and he's probably stayed in there for about an hour, and it's more type of a, a kangaroo type care session. But yeah. where we were sitting down, and we also went to visit Micah, which was amazing. Um, but as we progressed, we we were able to do more things as they became more stable. Zachary was discharged. Micah's hospitalization continued. We were able to actually um, leave Micah's room. We were able to uh, take them outside to see the sun and get some fresh air. Again, Uh this is all in the baby carrier. Um, And so it was... (laughs) Really incredible to have them both, um, you know, wrapped up on my chest or on my back and to be able to um, move around freely with both of them. You know, I'm trying to, like, get this picture in my head of you doing this. And there's this other part of me that thinks just carrying a preterm baby in your arms mm-hmm. is, I mean, that that's not all that simple either. Right. You've got to be coordinated. Watch what you're doing. Be attuned Absolutely. to the baby. <laughs> and so there's a part of me thinking, oh, this must be really, I've, clearly I've never done it. But I'm thinking it's never, you never feel like you're totally in control of a really preterm baby because they are so weak, so small. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm thinking, so maybe the baby carrying thing doesn't doesn't seem all that much worse. All right, okay. so we're, we know now that one of the things you were able to do is to go and have both of the babies visiting one another, so to speak. Right, right. And that's really cool. Where does the baby's father come into this? <laughs> was he able to do baby wearing? How did oh, that yes. go? Oh, Absol- tell us about that. Absolutely. He was, um, my husband Noah was very supportive and eager to learn how to baby wear as well. So he um, would primarily wear Zachary, was the more stable twin who um, was uh, discharged from the hospital much sooner than Micah. And so he would, um, and, and and it continues to baby wear today, but he would nice. wear Zachary, um, you know, in a wrap. He, I would pr- say he preferred wraps and May ties um, to the, to the ring slings and such. And he would wear again, Zachary on front and on back. But I, he would often uh, typically leave the baby wearing of Micah to me because <laughs> he, he knew he, while he was very comfortable with cords and with holding Micah and, and all of Micah's, um, you know, medical issues and so forth, he was uh, more comfortable probably just holding Mike as opposed to putting him in a carrier and um, having him in a wrap. Well, I think that's why we have mothers and, and fathers because, right. you know, fathers are never as, I don't know, confident or whatever the word is. So I'm not really surprised to hear that. Uh, how did he feel about that experience? He loves it. He and he continues to be a huge advocate for baby wearing today. He absolutely loves to be able to wear the boys and um, is um, a huge proponent of baby wearing. And, and even in the NICU, he really enjoyed it, especially because, again, as I mentioned before, when you have uh, fragile babies and you're practicing kangaroo care, you're really confined to a chair with them. Yeah. And um, after a while, you, you know, months of doing this, you want to be able to get up and move around. And so he was really 
really thankful and happy to be able to have a carrier where he could have his hands free and to be able to move a little bit more freely around. I didn't word that question right. What I really meant was how he felt about it the first time. Did he oh, feel? Oh, got it. <laughs> about me, about me wearing the babies? No, no, about him doing it. Okay. He, I mean, clearly he had seen you do it. Right. But the first time that he did it, did he feel more frightened or more exhilarated? No, I would say more exhilarated. He was very uh. <laughs> excited and wanted to um, to be able to do it as well. He was very excited. How did the babies respond the first time that their dad was doing the baby wearing? Could you tell? Uh, they were very relaxed and just settled uh, right down into his chest. Yep. So they were, they, you could tell they really, really enjoyed it and were comforted by him. I was hoping you would say that because very often when you can see your child just relax and kind of settle in, mm-hmm. it kind of makes you feel like you're doing it right. Exactly. And when the tension goes out in the baby, whatever tension you might have had does tend to dissipate. Right. And uh, I, I just think that's really great that he was able to do that and feel good about it. And the boys were able to feel good about it. And certainly uh, that he's been able to continue it and be such an advocate. Yes. Wow. Yes, indeed. Oh, that is terrific. That is terrific. We go Uh, places and he tells other people about how great baby wearing is. (laughs) uh, um, I know that you told me you haven't encountered any other parents that have done baby wearing, at least not for their preemie babies. Right. Uh, Why do you think that is? Um, I think there's probably a few obstacles. You know, most parents that find themselves in the NICU are so overwhelmed and just trying yeah. to get by the day-to-day yeah. issues, trying to make milk for their baby, you know, trying to, you know, keep themselves nourished and fed and, and trying to get some sleep. So I think there's some basic needs that have to be met first before you can even consider <laughs> figuring yes. out how to use a, a baby carrier. And so I think, you know, that's an obstacle. Um, and then, you, you know, I think that a lot of people don't think it's possible or you don't see the value in um, bringing uh, carriers and, and baby wearing into the NICU. And I, so I think, you know, if we are able to help people understand that there are some real benefits to both the family and the babies that we might see a little bit more of it. I think Jennifer is totally on point. I just want to add the the idea of baby wearing somehow lands at the end, at the bottom of the parent's agenda when in fact it probably should go up there, but they're just not seeing all of the light, and we're hoping that maybe this show will will help to do that. Okay, everybody, don't go back. Uh, don't, no, I mean, don't go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jennifer and I will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan? While his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Jennifer Canvasser, who has really helped us to understand how important baby wearing is and uh, the fact that you really don't have to be frightened. You might need to have a healthy dose of being vigilant in wearing your baby who is a premature baby in the NICU, but you don't have to be frightened. And for her and for her husband as well, this was an exhilarating and empowering experience. 
So, Jennifer, talk to us a little bit about necrotizing enterocolitis or what those of us in the hospital call neck. Talk to us right. about neck. Right. So, my again, I had my twin boys, Micah and Zachary. When Micah and Zachary were six weeks old, Micah very suddenly developed necrotized enterocolitis, which is an um, intestinal disease, um, and it basically causes inflammation and death of the intestinal tissue. Um, and this caused him to become very, very sick quickly. Um, and uh, so, he developed NEC. He eventually did get to come home after being hospitalized for months, but he passed away from complications of necrotizing enterocolitis when the boys were about 11 months old. Um, And so... Thank you. It's been a, a tragic loss for our family, obviously. Yes. Um, but we have been able to help, uh, you know, ho- hopefully prevent and reduce the incidence of this devastating disease by a nonprofit organization that we founded called the NEC Society. Um, and it, it basically is a, a national and it's becoming an international uh, organization, nonprofit that raises awareness and works to prevent NEC and fragile babies. That is a wonderful labor of love, I'm sure. Uh, tell me a little bit about what's the mission of, right. well, I guess it's pre- prevent, no, right. let, no let, let Jennifer talk. <laughs> tell us right. about your mission and vision for this organization. Right. So one of the best ways to prevent NEC is to ensure that these fragile babies have um, an exclusive human milk diet because Absolutely. formula for premature babies, and I'm speaking specifically about premature babies here, formula can increase the risk of NEC. Um, and so you want to make sure that these babies have uh, ideally mother's own milk and mother, you know, so that means typically mothers like myself who find themselves in the NICU are exclusively pumping for their fragile babies, which is yeah. not an easy thing to do, especially no. for twins for months to be, have uh, exclusively pump. So um, again, going back to baby wearing, um, baby wearing can really help to, um, uh, promote and foster a mother's own milk supply because you have the baby right there on their chest and it can help with the mother's milk supply and supporting that and then potentially uh, helping to prevent and reduce the incidence of NEC for these very fragile babies. Absolutely. Uh, For those of you who are interested, we had uh, someone from the milk bank come on and talk uh, on this show about how for some babies, premature babies, who are having some difficulties, the mother's own milk is certainly the best, but if not, donor milk is literally the difference between life and death. And I want to say she wasn't making it up. Jennifer's not making it up. I'm not making it up. The research clearly shows that human milk is less likely to be a... um, a trigger. I don't even know if that's the right word for neck, but it certainly reduces the baby's likelihood of developing neck. And then I want to go back to what Jennifer just said about milk supply. Now, we all know that having the right hormones to make milk is a big piece of whether or not you make milk, make enough milk, et cetera, et cetera. And quite honestly, pumping for your baby is not fun And in more than 30 years of being a nurse, I have never heard a mother tell me she's in love with the pump, okay? (laughs) Usually it's just, oh, I got a pump. But, but, you know, it's easy to be in love with your baby. It's very hard to be in love with your pump. And so when you have this baby and you're doing kangaroo mother care or you're uh, wearing your baby, that closeness brings all of those feelings that Jennifer just talked about earlier today. And it's just so important that I think that people just think that this is, oh, just a bonding thing. Well, it is a bonding thing, unquestionably, but it is in that bonding that there is this physiologic reaction for both the mother and the baby. And so it's, I don't want people to think, oh, it's just like this cute optional thing Mm -hmm. because it really does help those hormones. Jennifer, I forgot to ask you earlier in the show, but I'm going to ask you now, aren't there like some special uh, twin carrier things? And did you use those? I did not use any of the special twin carriers. If I wanted to hold uh, and wear both of them at the same time, I actually um, would use my Maytai is what I ended up using. Um, And again, this was when uh, Zachary was discharged and a little bit older. So um, yeah, that's just, that's my experience with it. Okay. All right. I know that they're out there. I've seen them. And you're just saying, yes, you know, they're there and no, you didn't use them. And, I didn't. And I, when, they okay. were, 
when they were very premature and, you know, they were both still in the NICU, I, I wore them one at a time because I think, you know, I really wanted to be, one, they were in separate rooms. Um, and two, I wanted to be able to focus, you know, I would bring one yeah. to the other, but you know, when they were that fragile, I wanted to be able to really focus in, um, on, on their needs at that moment. Absolutely. Uh, Jennifer, I know with certainty that there is some parent out there right this minute sitting in the NICU right now listening to this show and hearing your voice, and that parent is feeling a little hesitant about this whole baby-wearing thing. What would you say to that parent? Well, I would say first, um, I, my heart goes out to you because being in the NICU as a mother is a terrifying place to be, um, and you know, nothing is guaranteed, and, and you just do your best every day, and I think one of the most important things to do at this moment is make sure that you have a primary care team for that baby, um, and develop relationships, and make sure you have a healthy communication with the baby's care team, be part of the care team, and then you know when everyone is feeling ready and you're comfortable, I think it would be Wonderful. If you have, um, there are community lending uh, libraries that a lot yes. of places have. And so if you cannot afford to buy a ring sling, a lot of baby wearing uh, communities will lend you a ring sling. Then, um, and someone may even be able to come in and help you. Cause I think it's one thing to watch a video, but if, like I did, if, if someone is able to come in and help you um, and teach you how to use a ring sling, and a, a, they don't need to have experience with premature babies. If you've got, reached the point where you're comfortable with your premature baby and their lines and wires, um, they will be able to, you know, show you what to do with the wrap and then you can show them what you're going to do with your premature baby and, and his or her lines. Yes, so um, I would I would say start there. Start with your primary care team. Start with the ring sling. And if you can bring someone in uh, from your community to help support you and, and teach you, that would be wonderful. But if not, you can grab a stuffed animal and start watching some instructional YouTube videos. <laughs> oh, totally. I, I totally agree. Well, as Everybody knows this hour always goes much, much faster, and that's all the time we have today. Uh, but before we sign off, I'd like to thank Jennifer Canvasser for being our guest today. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'd especially like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed, and I'd like to invite you all to come back next week. If you're interested in any of the media that's been uh, mentioned on previous shows, or if you'd like to check out those two shows that I mentioned to you earlier, I would say the best place for that is to go to our website. It's www.borntobebreastfed.com. And we also have a Facebook page. So you can read my blog. You can go to my Facebook if you would be so kind as to leave a question for me or to do a like on our Facebook. That would be terrific. If you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. My courses and tons of resources and my blog for professionals are on my other website, and that is breastfeedingoutlook.com. Again, the one for professionals is breastfeedingoutlook.com. One for parents is borntobebreastfed.com. And if you have questions, it's radio at borntobebreastfed.com. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby, including your premature baby, were born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.